I was raised to believe that the Bible defines good and evil for us within its pages. But when we stop and examine this idea using the Bible, we discover something else. In the Garden of Eden, there were two trees. A tree that would bring life to all who ate of its fruit, and a tree that brought death. And it was the second tree, the tree that resulted in death, that contained the knowledge of good and evil. Have we been deceived by the serpent who is trying to get us to eat of the second tree? Is the Bible really trying to define good and evil for us? Let's take a step back. Let's run an experiment. Instead of seeking to define good and evil, let's instead ask the question of the trees. Let's attempt to define life and death, but to do so, we must first seek it out. So join us as we Deresh Chai, as we seek life. Hey everybody, welcome to the Deresh Chai Experiment, the show where we wrestle with the hard things of God. I'm Aaron Bishop, here with my beautiful wife, Rebecca. Hey! And today we are in Job chapter 12, 13, and 14. It's a big chunk this week. It is a big chunk this week. It's three chapters long, but we're going to find as we go through it that it's not... There's not a whole lot that's being said in it, and yet there's still a whole lot being said in it. Yeah, but a lot of it's being rehashed, kind of. There's a there's a quite a bit of rehash, but there are large chunks where he's restating the same thing over and over and over again in just different words that we're going to see. So it fills a lot of space, but it doesn't necessarily say a whole lot of things. It also is a really good picture of what exactly Job thinks of God. It is. It does contain some insight into that. And because we've seen it before, Job feels wronged. He feels as though he has been punished for something he didn't do. The base assumption that all of them, his friends, Job included, is that God punishes the wicked. Yep, and doesn't punish the good. Right. And so Job, a good and righteous man, is now feels as though he is being punished for no good reason. And he's upset. He's rightly upset in his, where he is in his understanding of God to be confronted with this reality that is so drastically different than his theology. That's a difficult place to be. And we're going to see today that he he is really beginning to wrestle with the fallout of this. Previously, in his, his previous responses, he's he hasn't been ready to wrestle with it. He hasn't been ready. He's he's basically been wallowing. Been wallowing. Yeah, he's been wallowing in his depression and in his grief. And there's still a lot of that present in today's section, but there is some glimmer of hope now. He's beginning to ask questions and he's beginning to state things that uh, he hasn't said before. It kind of stepped into the bargaining stage of grief to some degree yeah he's 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 through that just outright depression and he is beginning to bargain uh it's also significant that this is the first speech that's given after all three of his initial friends have had their say now moving on from this point out all three of the friends are going to have one more say and job is going to respond once again to all three of those but that was something that really struck me while I was reading this this week and, and just kind of pondering the words of, of these three chapters and recognizing that there's only a handful of themes that are really being explored. 
is in the ancient world, writing a book was costly. Mm-hmm. And the the parchment, the ink, the quills, the everything that had to come together just to write a book. And and not only that, it had to be done by hand. So if you wanted any right. kind of copies, you had to do it by hand. Right. Which makes Job and its flowery language and its its parallelism, its 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 incessant parallelisms, not just parallelisms, but all focused on one single theme. It's it's parallel after parallel after parallel after parallel in some places. And it gets somewhat repetitive. And to see that in an ancient book like this, it seems counterintuitive in some ways. That so much space would be used for this. I don't know. I think this point, this section is a a microcosm of his belief in who God is. True. Because he is telling his friends himself the world that this is who god is we and well he doesn't actually use these words specifically he has in other places will we not accept good from god's hand and not evil he basically is saying look god does what god's gonna do right he does and he takes an entire half of a chapter to say that Verse 9 through verse 25 of chapter 12 is all one subject. Mm -hmm. And it is basically that. God's going to do what God's going to do. He doesn't shorten it down. He expands it and reflects on it in multiple different ways, hitting it from multiple sides. Uh, Basically, it's that, that old record from last week or from two weeks ago that's spinning around in Job's head that he can't get off of the the downward spiral, so to speak, of that those depressing thoughts just circling around and around and around in his head. And the way that they're circling, though, it's not on repeat. It's a different facet, almost, mm-hmm. of, of a diamond or a different uh, perspective on a single scene. Yeah. And... Often we, we, we're often told when we write books or when we get into literature and stuff to use as few words as possible and to not, not repeat yourself and to, and Job is breaking all those rules. Well, I don't necessarily think any of those rules existed back then. Well, true. I know. I'm just saying it's so vastly different than what our culture expects. Yes, definitely that. Definitely that. It is not written from our culture at all. And even and even for poetry, uh, in modern poetry, uh, this is... Redundancy. It's super, yeah, it's yeah. a lot of redundancy. It's a lot of repetition. So with that, we are going to hit each of these themes and discuss a couple lines in, in each. But we're not going to spend a ton of time on each one, simply because they are repetitions of things that have come before. And there are many, many verses that are all kind of summing up a a singular theme. So with that, let's go ahead and read Job chapter 12 through 14, and then let's discuss. Job 12 through 14. Job responded and said, Without a doubt, you are the people, and wisdom will die with you. But I have a mind as well as you. I am not inferior to you. 
Who does not know these things? I have become a laughingstock to my friend, though I called on God and he answered, A righteous and blameless man is a laughingstock. Contempt for calamity is the thought of one at ease, prepared for those whose foot slips. The tents of marauders prosper, and there is security for those who provoke God, for those whom God brings in his hand. But now ask the animals and they will teach you, or the birds of the sky and they will tell you, or speak to the earth and it will teach you, or the fish of the sea and they will inform you. Which of these does not know that the head of Adonai has done this? In his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all the human race. Does not the ear test words as the palate tastes food? Is not wisdom with the aged, and understanding bring long life? With him are wisdom and power, counsel and understanding are his. If he tears down, it cannot be rebuilt. One he imprisons cannot be released. If he holds back the waters, they dry up. If he releases them, they destroy the earth. With him are power and sound wisdom. Both deceived and deceiver are his. He leads counselors away stripped and makes judges into fools. He loosens the bonds of the kings and binds a loincloth around their waist. He leads priests away stripped and overthrows the rulers. He silences the lips of trusted advisers and removes the discernment of elders. He pours contempt on nobles and loosens the belts of the mighty. He reveals the deep things of darkness and brings utter darkness into light. He makes nations great and destroys them. He enlarges the nations and leads them away. He deprives the heads of the people of earth of understanding and causes them to wander in pathless wasteland. They grope in darkness with no light. He makes them stagger like a drunkard. Indeed, my eye has seen it all, my ears have heard and understood it. What you know, I also know. I am not inferior to you. Still, I desire to speak to Shaddai and to argue my case with God. You, however, smear me with lies. You are worthless doctors, all of you. If only you would keep completely silent, for you that would be wisdom." Hear now my argument, listen to the contentions of my lips. Will you speak unjustly on God's behalf? Will you speak deceitfully for him? Will you show him partiality? Will you argue the case for God? Would it turn out well if he examined you? Could you deceive him as you deceive a man? He will surely rebuke you if you secretly showed favoritism. Would not his majesty terrify you and the dread of him fall on you? Your maxims are proverbs of ashes, and your defenses are defenses of clay. Be silent and let me speak, then let come to me what may. Why should I take my flesh in my teeth and take my life in my hands? Even if he slays me, I will wait for him. I will surely defend my ways before him." This too will be my salvation, for no godless can come before him. Listen carefully to my words, and let my declarations be in your ears. See now I have prepared my case. I know that I will be vindicated. Who will contend with me? If so, I will be silent and die. 
Only two things do not do to me, then I will not hide from your face. Withdraw your hand far from me, and do not assail me with your terror. Then call, and I will answer, or I will speak, and you respond to me. How many are my iniquities and sins? Show me my transgressions and my sin. Why do you hide your face and consider me your enemy? Will you frighten a wind-blown leaf or chase after dry chaff? For you write bitter things against me and make me inherit the iniquities of my youth. You put my feet in shackles and watch all my paths. You put marks on the soles of my feet. So he wastes away like something rotten, like a moth-eaten garment. A mortal born of woman is of few days and full of turmoil. Like a flower he comes up and withers, like a shadow he flees and does not stay. Do you fix your eyes on such a one and bring me for judgment with you? Who can make something pure out of the impure? No one. Since his days are determined, the number of his months is with you. You have set his limits, which he cannot exceed. Look away from him and let him alone until he fulfills his time like a hired laborer. At least there is hope for a tree. If it is cut down, it will sprout again, and its shoots will not cease. Though its roots grow old in the earth and its stump dies in the dry ground, at the scent of water it will bud and sprout sprigs like a new plant. But man dies and is powerless. Man expires, and where is he? As water evaporates from the sea, and a river drains away and dries up, so a person lies down and does not rise until the heavens are no more. People will not awake, or be roused from their sleep. Oh, that you would hide me in Sheol, and conceal me until your wrath has passed. Oh, that you would set a time for me, and then remember me. If a man dies, will he live again? All the days of my hard labor, I will wait until my relief comes. You will call, and I, I will answer you. You will long for the work of your hands. For then you will number my steps. You will not keep track of my sin. My transgressions will be sealed in a bundle and cover over my iniquity. Yet as a mountain falls away and crumbles, and a rock is moved from its place, as water wears away stones and torrents wash away the soil, so you destroy a person's hope. You overpower him once for all, and he perishes. You change his appearance and send him away. If his sons achieve honor, he does not know it. If they are brought low, he does not perceive it. He only feels pain for his own flesh and mourns for his own soul. Wow, Job really has a uh, tongue on him, doesn't he? <laughs> he does. <laughs> I think my favorite part of this whole section is the very first thing that, that he says. Right, that very first line. <laughs> yep. Without a doubt, you are the people and wisdom will die with you. Yep, you're so wise. You are right. You're <laughs> so right. Yep. You self-righteous jerk. You got, you're the fount of wisdom. And, and <laughs> oh, well. It's just so funny. <laughs> yes. But then uh, in verse three, he's like, but you know what? I, I'm like, you. I got a mind too. And we all know what you've just said. So why are you beating me over the head with it? Everybody right. knows what you've said is true. But 
you're being a jerk about it. Right. Now he is pointing out that that overwhelming self righteous attitude that that, that Zophar had. Uh, Zophar, the last friend, he really was a pompous jerk. He really was. <laughs> and, and Job is calling him out on it. And in the very first part of this, he is kind of getting on to his friends. And in the beginning of thirteen as well, he gets on to his his friends. You're worthless healers. You you smear me with falsehood and. If you would be silent, then you would be found wise, right. uh, so on and so forth. He's really hammering home. You guys have been no help at all. Thanks for nothing. Right. But I do I do want to point out that the conversation for from Job's perspective has shifted a bit here. Oh, yeah. Because he's no longer yelling at blaming God. Right. He is blaming his friends now. He's right. not... God, you're being unrighteous. You're, you know, tormenting me unfairly, blah, blah, blah. Now he's saying God is righteous. God's going to do what God's going to do. And you friends are complete jerks. So his right. entire perspective has shifted. Right. And I think that can be kind of helpful for someone who's dealing with grief is to give them an enemy, something to focus their attention on. So that they aren't blaming God anymore, but they're they're upset with someone else. Not for what's going on in their situation, but maybe even for some secondary or tertiary thing mm -hmm. that's more immediate in the moment. Well, I don't think that we need to like volunteer for that well, position. No, no I'm, not, I'm, <laughs> I'm not saying that anybody but... should volunteer for that. But it can help to break a person out of the cycle like this. Yeah, I could see that. An enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of situation. And per perhaps uh, and that sort of situation, but more like your all your focus and attention is on arguing with God and being upset with God, and then something else comes along, and you can you can retreat to God as your shelter and focus on this other thing that's now this thing that you're upset at. Yeah, and that you're pretty confident God's upset at. Right. And so you can focus on this other enemy now. And by doing so, it helps you to disconnect from the blame that you're placing on God for the initial hurt in the first place. Yeah. And I think that is a very important aspect of grief is the chance to disconnect. That will start to heal. Right. And it is necessary to disconnect a bit from... Not from the hurt so much as from the blame, because that is, that's one of the things that people will do when they go through grief. Someone has to be responsible. Right. And if it's not a person, then it's God. Right. It's not chaos. It's not random chance. I'm in pain and someone is to blame so that I can lash out at that, at that, whatever it is that's to blame. Right. It provides an anchor of sorts for their emotions too. To come out on. Mm -hmm. And God has been serving as that anchor, the, the one to be blamed yeah. and he has, up to this point. And, and that's the thing. God can handle it. Right. God takes it. He right. takes it and he handles it. He deals with it. But now his friends are starting to irritate Job and starting to shame him mm -hmm. for his despair, for his grief. And so now he's he's teaming up with God now and saying, "Well, who are you to to be so self righteous in your wisdom? You you know God. 
God is all these great things. And so the first eight or so verses of chapter 12 are all kind of dedicated to Zophar and Job's own experience. Mm-hmm. You know that I'm a laughing stock. And I'm one who's called on God and God's answered me. And this righteous man is now a laughing stock. Those who are at ease love to despise those who are in pain, mm-hmm. love to look down on them. It's the classic uh, rich man looking past the, the poor man in the streets or, or looking down and judging this person who's, who's sick or in pain or, or hurting. It's a natural human response and not in every case and not everybody does this, but it is extremely common when you see someone who's hurting or to in pain yeah. to to blame them, but also to laugh at them or to to think yourself better than them because you're at ease. You're yeah. not in pain. Uh, <laughs> this is something. So our kids love pratfalls. Oh, goodness. There is a <laughs> YouTube channel dedicated specifically to pratfalls called Fail Army. It's funny. It's funny because <laughs> it's people in pain who are attempting things who fail. And and often, many times, I'm laughing at people who are attempting things that I would never even attempt myself. Yeah. And not stupid things, but like acrobatic things, like these amazing feats. And they'll do six flips and then fall on their seventh. And I'm like, I can't even do one, but I'm laughing at this guy who just did six <laughs> and fell on the seventh one. <laughs> but right. it's that human response and and that's why pratfalls are such great humor great it's a low level of humor but they're Still found humorous funny. that's why yeah that's why it's found humorous is because as sick as it is we do enjoy other people's pain hmm. we we like it's, it when it's others like, hurt it's a train wreck and i can't stop watching yeah uh, that but or, it, it does make us feel better that someone else failed. Yeah. Because it, it makes us in some ways not feel alone, but it makes us feel better that we've never failed at that thing ourselves. Or at least not in that Or at least not, way. or that drastically. Right. There's someone who's worse off than me, and now I or feel better about publicly. myself. <laughs> or that publicly, right. So that's what the beginning of chapter 12 is about, is, is tearing down Zophar or getting on to him for being so self-righteous. And then this, this idea of you go, you're all comfortable and at ease and you're laughing at me. You're, you're not helping. You're not compassionate. You're not kind. You're not comforting. You're judging. You're over there judging me as wicked and righteous. And so I just need to clean up my act and everything will be okay. It's all my fault that all this is happening. And he's in essence calling them out for their victim shaming. Yeah. But then, the, as we said in the intro, the rest of the chapter is how great God is. Just how, mag- how over everything he is. His hand is the life of all that live and his breath of all mankind. Um, with him is wisdom and might and counsel and understanding. It makes me think of the spirits of God that are listed in Isaiah chapter 11. The, mm-hmm. uh, it's four of the seven spirits that are listed there. And the only two that are missing are the spirit of knowledge and the spirit of the fear of God, or the fear of Adonai, mm. which is, it's really cool that he's calling out those specific things and saying, those are with God. Mm. Uh, he breaks down, it's not rebuilt, 
Uh, if he imprisons a man, there's no release. If he withholds waters, then they dry up. I mean, he's just going on saying there's nothing in this world that is comparable to the might and the power of God. And it's saying, of course God's doing this. Right. Who else would be doing this? Who else could do what I just experienced? It's obviously God doing this. Right. Right. It, it, within just a short time, fires and bandits and just all of these things have come up in this short time. And then disease immediately after that. Yeah, it's God. I get it. Thanks. Thanks. You've been helpful saying right. this is God doing this to me. And that's kind of where he transitions to in 13 mm-hmm. is, okay, then, yeah. it's God doing this. So now I'm going to challenge God. I want a conversation. Yes, he does go there. But before he goes there, he goes back to the to the three friends and he says, yeah, where. Where would you stand? Yeah, you think that you're so much better than me. Do you really think that you could stand before God? Do you really think that you wouldn't be just as miserable as I am? Yeah, if God was to come and examine your works, you think you'd be better off than I am right now? Right. He's calling them out for their hypocrisy. Yeah. And their uh, self-righteousness. And that self-righteousness, yeah. He's, he's, he is definitely hitting that self-righteousness hard. Uh, because they have all been self-righteous to a degree. I am comfortable. I haven't been hurt. I haven't lost all my kids and my wealth and my health and everything that matters to me. So obviously... I'm more righteous than you. Mm-hmm. And they're, they are looking down to him. And he is, you're right, he's calling him out for that. And then he goes in verse 13 to 16. That's when he starts calling out God and saying, God, let's go. I'm ready. Let's talk. You know. Actually, it's, it's more than through 16. It's basically through the end of the chapter. Well, that's, that's where it starts, I guess I should say. Yeah, 13 through 16. He calls on God. Uh, Verse 15 is so, so powerful. Mm -hmm. Uh, Though he kills me, mine says, though he slays me, so many others says. Even if God comes and he slays me, still I'm going to hope in him. And, And then verse 16. But this too will be my salvation, for no godless can even come before him. Right. So if he even comes... I know I'm not godless. Yeah, that's a a good point. So, yeah, I mean, who is going to sit there in front of the one who's killing them and say, you're righteous. You you are my hope for the future. I mean, in a way, it sounds kind of Stockholm (laughs) Syndrome-ish. Well. (laughs) (laughs) To a degree. To a degree, yeah, it Uh, does. For those who don't know, Stockholm Syndrome is the... uh, it's the phenomenon when a, someone becomes a victim of another, uh, very common in, in uh, hostage cases, where the hostages will begin to take up the cause of the hostage takers and begin to identify with them and even come to love them. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a well-documented phenomenon. It's, it's a very interesting. Some movies have been made about it even. But when you read that line as a soundbite almost, mm-hmm. It makes me think of Stockholm Syndrome. Like you're sitting there with the gun to your head in the middle of the bank with the bank robber there. And you're looking at the bank robber who's putting the gun in your head. And you're like, I have hope in you that your cause is good and just and that you're going to, that you are right. Mm -hmm. And 
I don't know. I guess because I grew up with uh, Patch the Pirate and him writing that song, Though He Slay Me Yet I Will Trust in Him, and oh, okay. thinking about it from his perspective where he he was going through cancer and lost his eye and all of that. It, that's where my brain goes when okay. I read this passage. Well, right, and that's in a greater context. Yeah, it absolutely it's not is. The, it's not the soundbite that I was kind of addressing yeah but the but it's the idea of the king being faithful to a king and your life not being what matters it's the pawn i'm a pawn you're the king and i will give my life right though you send me into this fray knowing offering me up as the sacrifice for the enemy to destroy i'm still going to hope in you and in your victory in the end that's loyalty it is. That's faith. That's faith right there, yeah. That's faith. Right. It's beautiful. It's that, it's that pure allegiance yeah. to your king and to his cause. And regardless of what the king does, even if you walk into the king's throne room and say, my king, and he turns around and whacks your head off, yes, my king. If that, yeah. that be your will, then so be it. Right. It is the true absolute allegiance and faith. Um, but then he challenges God. I've got my case prepared. Verse 18. And I know, I know I'm in the right. Who's going to strive with me? So he's challenging God. All right, come on. Let, let's, let's talk this out. Let's hash this out. I only ask two things of you when you come to talk to me. First off. First off. Don't withdraw your hand from me. Oh, mine says withdraw your hand far from me. Well, it says only two things do not do to me. Okay. The first one being, I would assume, do not draw your hand away from me. But then it also says, and do not. So that's do not, do not. I don't know. Yeah. Assail me with your terror. So do assail me with your terror. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> so, not. So I don't know. So the, the idea of the, God's hand is that it's God who's acting in his life. It's that mighty hand that struck Egypt that, that God sent out to strike. So in other um, words, it's, it's the, the it's, it's the torment. Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's stop tormenting me. Yeah. If I'm going to come before you, you've got to take your hand away from me. I, I and please do not, and do not let me come. Me. Yeah, and don't make me so afraid of you that I can't stick my case clearly. Yeah. I'm, I want to be able to come before you, and I want to be able to plead my case before you. And I don't want to be in this situation I'm in right now when I do so. Because right now, I'm being hurt and I'm being oppressed almost. Mm-hmm. I feel as though you're closing in on me and you're punishing me. So Ease up a bit. Ease up a bit, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it's like the going into the courtroom. Beforehand, you're in the prison. You're in uh, the prison orange jumpsuit being fed terrible food or whatever. But you go to the court and they put you in a suit. And they take the handcuffs off and you're able to see people who aren't in chains Mm -hmm. and talk to people and see people that you love. Even you're going before the judge and the judges backs off on, on the power. Yeah. The bailiff's still there, but they're not like going to beat you with a stick right away type thing that you're safe for a moment. You can breathe for a second. And you've got an opportunity now to plead your case before the judge in the safe setting of the courtroom. And that's, that's almost kind of the picture I get. Of what Job is asking. Yeah. Give me give me a second to breathe. 
I'm not, you know, I'm not out of this yet, but let's, let's talk about it. Right. And then in verse 23, he asks again, what are my crookedness? Let me know my transgression and my sin. If you just tell me what they are, I'll repent. Right. Let me know, because I don't know. And I know that that is what so many people, ourselves included, have asked God, what did I do wrong? Right. I can't, I will repent if you'll just show me. Just tell me what I'm not doing right. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, and that's where our hearts want to go. That's where our minds want to go because our minds sort of default to God rewards good and God des- destroys evil. And so if you're being punished or destroyed, it must be because you're evil. Mm-hmm. And it's hard for us to reconcile or to conceive that good God would allow terrible things to happen for no reason other than his own glory. Yeah. Because it makes us hurt and it puts us through pain for his own glory. And we can't comprehend how our pain and agony could possibly bring him glory. Right. And I think that probably is at the heart of it. Right. We can't perceive how our suffering could possibly bring him glory. Yeah. And often when you're in the middle of it, you don't care to bring him glory. Yeah. You're, you're like, uh, how do I, put this? I just want out. Yeah, I just, I just want out. Just stop it. Just stop, stop focusing on me. You know what? If you let me be, I'll just walk away, and you don't have to hear from me again. Just stop, stop yeah. doing whatever you're doing. Because you feel in that, in that sentence, you're saying, "I must be a burden to you." Right. I must be a burden. That's why you're doing this. Right. If you're reaching out and hurting me, I'd rather just walk away and be over here and not be in so much pain. Yeah. And we don't have to be friends anymore type idea. And a lot of people do go that direction Mm -hmm. when they go through pain. Uh, It creates a lot of atheists when they experience pain for no perceivably good reason. Mm -hmm. And in a way, it is a bit of testing of a person's allegiance to go through that sort of pain. Yeah. Um, are you going to have this heart of Job where though you slay me and though you slay my entire family, I'm still going to find my hope in you. Can you still find your allegiance in God, even in the midst of that absolute abject pain and grief? And I think the answer in one scenario could be yes. And in the next one could be no. And then the next one could be yes. And then in the next one, you could say no again. Because this isn't a one and done. Because right. we don't go through what Job went through. Right. There are very few people in this world that have ever gone through what Job went through to that extent. But in that moment, some are given the ability to say that. But four or five days later they may not be saying the same thing right and then they'll come in waves where you're like yes no i do trust god i do trust him and then you three hours later you're "Ah, yeah Yeah. it's not a it's not a perfect i got it right check 
You know, yeah. it's 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 real. It's real. It's real. It's alive, and and it is cyclical, uh, as you said. So then, chapter fourteen. Chapter fourteen. Chapter fourteen. It really just gets into the futility of a man's life. Yeah, it's very uh, ecclesiastical. Yeah, it's very ecclesiastes. But he gets into the permanence of death. You know, mm-hmm. you cut down a tree. A tree could have a shoot again. You know. Mm-hmm. Rain comes along and it could start over. You uh, cut down a man. He's done. He's done until the heavens are no more. Yeah. It's over for that guy. There's no there's no coming back until the, until the resurrection, in essence. And in verse 6, it, he's pleading, you know what? If your attention is causing pain... Then just look away. Look away from mankind. Let us just live our lives in peace and ease like a hired servant. Why do you have to treat us like this? Why Why does your attention bring so much pain? Yeah. Uh, and that's that, again, is something that we see throughout the Bible, the, the book of Numbers. God's attention on Israel brought them a ton of pain. Yeah. It brought them a ton of hardship, 40 years in a wilderness and, and plagues and burning the destruction at the edges of the camp and so on and so forth because God's attention was on them. And we've we've felt it ourselves. Right. But the nations all around them, well, the nations are at ease. The nations are are okay, Uh, except for Egypt, who was destroyed, and except for Canaan, who's about to be destroyed. Mm -hmm. But but so many of their, their neighbors are are living at ease while Israel is is suffering and in pain and hurting because of God's attention. And then when God's attention then shifts to Canaan, well, guess what? Canaan's in pain. Mm-hmm. And when God's attention was on Egypt, well, guess what? Egypt was in pain. And so Job is calling that out. He's saying, you know what? Look away from man and just let him rest. Just turn your gaze away and let us have some peace. Did yours actually say the word rest? Yeah. yeah. Read yours. Look away from him and let him rest. Like till, like a hired man, he enjoys his day. Hmm. Mine says, look away from him and let him alone until he fulfills his time like a hired laborer. Okay, so the word there is chadal, uh, which means to stop or to cease, to come to an end or to leave off. So that's... Or to desist. So it, it's it is it is more like just hey cease leave him alone back right. off, and it says enjoy is enjoy there because mine does not have enjoy. Mine says fulfill until he fulfills uh, his time like a hired laborer. So it's the the word ratza and it means to be pleased with or favor look favorably upon. Um, hmm, that's interesting because in when you read it in mine, my I. My thought goes to he's he's fulfilled his time. He's served his time. You know, it's not there's no enjoyment in that except that, you know, he's served his time. He's right. he's done. But yours there's a an enjoyment, a fulfillment. Well, it's that, it's that ecclesiastical uh, idea of of faithful. the hired laborer who is enjoying the fruits of his labor. Yeah. One of the great pleasures of life, one of the few pleasures that the preacher was able to pinpoint was the enjoyment of the fruit of your labor. 
Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what Job is saying, too. He's saying, look away from him so that he can enjoy the fruit of his labor. We're, we're labored hands in your, in your field and in your garden. And it seems like our payment from you is nothing but pain and sorrow and hardship. You know what? Turn away your, your gaze so that we might enjoy the fruit of our labor, that we might be able to have times of peace and rest and, and enjoyment. Hmm. It's kind of a sad perspective. It is. And, but it is one that's slightly accurate. Slightly accurate. I mean, even this week's Parsha deals with that. So this week's Parsha is Parsha Vayera. Um, and it's Genesis chapters 18 through 22, I believe. Uh, so it covers the three men coming to Abraham and letting him know, hey, this time next year you'll have a son. And Sarah laughing, and then what's commonly called the bartering, the bartering for Sodom. It's not really bartering; it's Abraham asking and God giving. Yeah. Um, then it's God's attention on Sodom and Gomorrah, and Lot then and his daughters losing everything because of God's attention, um, and ending up in a cave, and some terrible things happen there. Then it's the birth of Isaac. And Hagar gets sent off into the desert, searching for water. And then God's gaze turns on Abraham, and he almost has to sacrifice his own son. It really is a running theme throughout Scripture, that when God looks on you, there's going to be hardship in your life. And you're going to have to make tough decisions. And you're going to be tested. Your faith is going to be tested. I think the exception in that story is Hagar, because her situation was based on Sarah, not specifically based on God. And when God saw her, he provided for her. True, true. There is that. Um, That is a good point. But for Abraham, for Sarah, the, the following Parsha, the next chapter, Sarah dies. Uh, it's commonly thought in Judaism that she died because she knew Isaac was going to be sacrificed. And the just the angst of that thought of her son, her baby boy, being killed on an altar somewhere at God's request ended up killing her. Yeah. But that idea, whether it's the wilderness, whether it's Sodom, whether it's Abraham sacrificing his son, whether it's Yeshua being suffering because of God's attention on mankind. If you're one of God's people, you're going to suffer. It's going to hurt. And the New Testament speaks of that. I think it's because, and, and I could be wrong, but I think that the reason that good people suffer is because we cannot... We are drawing close to God mm-hmm. and our humanity and our fallenness cannot survive his holiness. And so it's being systematically destroyed. I think there's also the aspect of when you start serving God, then the enemy tries to tear you down. You are anathema to the enemy. You, you become a target. Yeah. And so, I mean, and it's a combination of all three because 
We know that it was the enemy who's doing this to Job, but we know it's God who's kind of pointed Job out and said, hey, that guy over there, go hurt him. You know, and and it is that test of faith. The will you deny God in the midst of terrible circumstances or are you loyal? Yeah. Are you faithful? Will you remain with him despite your circumstances? And that is, and that's the test that we all have to face um, when we go through difficult times is will we stay loyal? Will we stay faithful? Is God's kingdom really where our focus is and what we're going to stay true to? And ultimately, it's worth it. Yes. But it's going to hurt. But it hurts. Right. So, yeah, that's that's where Job is. He's finally making the turn out of the depression and into the bargaining stage. He's ready to bargain with God. He's ready to confront him face to face and meet him. And uh, that's where it moves to beginning next week when uh, Eliphaz once again comes to Job and once again responds to Job's most recent statement. So seek life and all that you do. Shalom. Shalom. Thank you for tuning in to Deresh Chai. If this content has blessed you and you would like more, please consider subscribing, liking, commenting, and sharing with others. To find out more about what we do and to support this ministry, head over to SeekLifeSC.com. That's SeekLifeSC.com. We'll see you again next time as we Deresh Chai, as we seek life. Shalom.